my name is Sister Prince, and today is May 19th, 1987. I am interviewing Mrs. David Grant for the Missouri Historical Society's Black History Project. Most of our interview will be concerned with the lives and the issues concerning blacks during the 40s and the 50s. David Grant was a prominent lawyer, and Mrs. Grant worked in his office. They were both involved in the Civil Rights Movement. Go right ahead. I just, I, I wrote down here before you start. The Sheriff of Public Washington Union in the Lacey Peace City-ins, police brutality, and school segregation. And as I said, I was, I was, I can only start from the time I came here in 1945. So, so um, like we did on the phone. Um, you, were, you were born in St. Louis? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then? Oh, I went away to school. I went to California. I came back here in 1945 and got married. That's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's it. But um, what, what was it like for, would you like to, me to refer to uh, in the 40s and the 50s, blacks or Negroes? Which, which is that? Well, of course, the black now is, is, is the word of, of everybody's choice, but naturally back in, in that time, it was Negro, what would our you color. What would you prefer me to do today? Oh, I don't want to say black. That's okay. what everybody else is saying. All right. all right. Okay. I frankly had a um, um, difficult time getting into that because, as I said, it had always been colored in Negro when we were, mm -hmm. we were coming up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was it like uh, in, in California? Oh, that was, a, that was, oh, that was, forget, that was a whole different thing there. Turn that off. Well, we won't talk about it. No, we also don't talk about that. No, because I was in a, uh, is, is this all? No, I will turn So, and then I went, to, I went to Chicago, to Northwestern, and uh, um, it was a different situation there. It wasn't like it was here in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, it was uh, um, something that I really had not uh, really experienced. Well, what, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like in Chicago then? Oh, well, it was Chicago was... Uh, this is in the early 40s? Yeah, it was, I just was not involved in it. I was in school and I was uh, um, living in Evanston and um, you could go I don't recall too much about that. But you could go anywhere you wanted? I guess so. We were living on the south side and everything was on the south side that we wanted so we didn't have to worry about anything. There were. Um, uh, well, you could go to the theaters, you could go to, there were some restaurants that you could not, uh, uh, you were, that you were, you were unwelcome, but um, I really didn't have any uh, real problems. I mean, there was no um, segregation on the buses. Uh, I didn't, as I said, I was in college, so I, um, and I was in, in, in uh, Evanston, which was quite a distance from Chicago. So you finished college and you came back to yes, St. Louis. Did you want to come back to St. Louis? Yeah, well, yes, my mother was ill and I had to come back here to help take care of her and then I met my husband. Uh -huh. That was it. And that was it? Uh -huh. <laughs> I had sort of a protected uh, childhood. That's why I didn't really, uh, was not involved until I came here and discovered that St. Louis was a whole new story from anything that I had experienced. Well, just can you describe St. Louis to me at the time from your point of view? Oh, well, yes. Uh, there were places I couldn't go. The shows, uh, the only uh, unsegregated uh, was the transportation. You ride on the streetcars and the buses. But, uh, of course, my, my husband was, was much older and uh, he was involved in all of this. and. Uh, so naturally, I became interested in it because I didn't know that St. Louis was was like that, really. Uh, they had a little um, corner at the 5 and 10 cent store where Negroes had to go to buy hot dogs and hamburgers, and I thought that that was the most demeaning thing that I'd ever seen in my life. I didn't even, I didn't know that existed. Mm -hmm. okay. And, and um, then, uh, of course, and Dave, 
they started the Sidians, and uh, they. Well, that was Dave and Ted McNeil and Henry Wheeler, and uh, there was a man named um, Frank Jones, and they got together and um, organized um, strikes, uh, not strikes, but sit-ins, and picketing the restaurants, scrubs down there at uh, 10th and Olive. They had a cafeteria in the basement. They didn't permit Negroes to come in there to eat. Mm -hmm. Did they employ Negroes no, at the time? No. Well, I, I don't know. I don't remember that. Probably uh, as a janitor or a cleanup mm -hmm. women. They didn't have any people behind the counter serving food, no. Were these sit-ins uh, under the auspices of the NAACP? That's all in here. You said Mr. Wheeler was Oh, you're talking about the NAACP, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Henry Wheeler, who was um, in the Postal Service Alliance, uh, Postal Clerks Alliance, I think mm -hmm. they called it. And um, there were two things there. The Washington University, uh, they sought relief from city assessed taxes, and NACP uh, filed suit on that because they did not permit uh, Negroes to uh, uh, enter the school out there. And Carmen Jones, a Negro stage production, was scheduled to appear at the American Theater. This is all 19, later, uh, 1945. And um, so there, were, there was picketing there. Uh, Wheeler moved the NAACP branch to picket the theater, which mm -hmm. was done. After that play left, um, whether to further picket became controversial, but not for Wheeler. The picket line dwindled, especially in bad, we in bad weather. But Mr. Wheeler never stopped picketing. He picketed down there, rain, snow, Oh, he, no matter. He picketed by himself if he couldn't get anybody else. What and did his picket say? Beg pardon? The, 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 oh, the signs? Mm -hmm. oh, I don't recall what the signs said, but they were probably, uh, did not uh, cater to Negroes. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. Was any attention given to this? Oh, my goodness, yes, the media. And he did this for two whole years. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, the walls came tumbling down. And he had a victory at the American Theater, and then he started with the larger movie houses in the city. Uh, they were denied admission to Negroes because of race. Um, they were aided by the Human Relations Council, and um, so eventually the movie houses opened their doors. And then there was a Mr. Edward Edwin Arthur of the Arthur Enterprises. He had several theaters here. They had a, a meeting with him out to the Fox Theater, and uh, he agreed to, uh, to uh, open four of his theaters, I believe, and to, uh, on, you know, on a condition ba conditional basis. If it worked, okay, then he would open the rest of his theaters, and it, it worked. So that was uh, conditional basis of what? Well, to see if there were any problems. If uh, mm -hmm. whites came in there and started would start something with the with the Negro um, uh, who, the Negroes who were attending this, the uh, theater. And so far as, as I recall, there were no uh, incidents of, of um, fighting or violence. Nor were there when uh, they left. Uh, Negroes into Washington University. No, I don't think so. You know, Dave, as I was going to say, he had that Washington University file at his office, along with some other important files, and uh, young lawyers were always coming to him to ask, uh, get his opinion and to, to get the history of behind these uh, cases that were really very, very important. Uh, such as the restrictive covenant cases, Washington University, um, police brutality, school segregation and whatnot. And he would let them take the files. 
And uh, many of these files were not returned, because when I brought all the files home, I couldn't find anything on Washington U. Of course, all that information is open in the courts. Anybody can go down there and, and see it. But um, I'm sorry that I don't have dates and, and even the um, uh, petition for um, Whatever, whatever, whatever you call it, I'd like to have that, but I, I can't find it. Uh, he had the uh, case of Shelley versus Kramer, George Vaughn, who was one of his uh, co-lawyers in that. George Vaughn went to work to uh, Washington, the Supreme Court, and um, what was that case? Shelley versus Kramer. That's when restrictive, restrictive covenants mm -hmm. were um, eliminated here. And that was 1945. Can you tell me anything about that case? What do you remember? Well, Dave's, but the NAACP's um, position was that um, Washington University should not be permitted to have tax exemption as a charitable organization when they did not uh, admit Negroes. Let's see, there's something in here. Whatever was, yeah, it was 19, yeah. That's right. Um, this is it. Uh, an assault in the court was made against any tax relief for a school, and this is Washington University, refused admission to Negroes solely because, because of color. That's basically what the case was all about. Mm -hmm. um, see, they, Wash U was a seeking tax relief. And uh, the ground for court action was that taxes paid by Negroes help supply the deficit created by the school's exemption. Six years later, uh, during which time, see it took yeah, about six years, all racial barriers were dropped at the school. And likewise, the lawsuit was dropped. Um, oh yeah, Wheeler, along with Dave and others, in the morning, that morning in 1945, when to secure evidentiary proof of discrimination, some six of us, all visibly Negro, presented ourselves for summer school enrollment to the Registrar of Washington U. The reaction at the school upon our appearance, to say the least, was quite funny. I'm, I'm reading now from Dave's remarks. <laughs> I can still see the flustered white lady's look of confused terror. As to the coming of Carmen Jones, it goes back to that, that was the Negro musical stage production, uh, which had been uh, um, scheduled to appear at the American Theater. Well, Wheeler moved the NAACP branch to picket the theater, which was done. After that play left, whether to further picket became controversial. And I told you that. Um, I think that's all that he says in here about Washington U, but that basically um, gives you a capsule of what the problem was, because that, Negroes were, were paying taxes and yet they couldn't go out there. That gives me the that gives me the basic facts of the case. What was it like at home? I mean, what was it like living with someone that was fighting like that um, and yourself? Were you in the office at that time? Yes, and okay. I was in the office until 1953. Uh, how would, uh, if you had to choose a word or a couple of words, what would you choose? How would you choose to describe what what that was like in the 40s? Well, of course, there was anger, and there's another. Um, just a lot of anger, and yet uh, the um, desire to do something about it, do whatever had to be done, um, 
sit down, sit in, or whatever. <laughs> sit anywhere. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, there was a lot of anger. Did it ever go away? Well, eventually, when things began to started um, opening up, you know, eased. Mildred, were, were those that had not lived in other places as angry? Did the anger, was the anger different for different people? You must, did you some discuss people, it with each other? Some people really wanted to, to, to uh, become violent. You know, I mean, they really wanted to go out during, like during the 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't as uh, pronounced as that. I mean, you know, there are always a few really uh, uh, dissidents who want to get out there and just physically do something about it. And that was not what they were, they were about. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to do it through the political process and um, um, like here through the courts. Was it always done? And uh, picketing. Was it always done under the auspices of like the NAACP or or the um, Urban League or whatever? I mean, was it always or or was there a group of men who who people came to? I know Dave. Well, yes, they came to Dave, but uh, yes, the NAACP. Um, um, Human Relations Council, it was aided by, by the Human Relations Council of the city, um, of course the Urban League, but there were so many, there were many other kind of movements like the Colored Clerk Circle and yeah. there were, everybody mm -hmm. was, I guess, were they doing what they That's right, the colored clerk circle and the postal clerk circle, of which Mr. Um, Wheeler. Henry Wheeler was, I, I think at one time he was the president, very, very active. Mm -hmm. And uh, a man who was completely dedicated to um, erasing discrimination in every sector of St. Louis. He was, he really was. And then Dave um, worked with him but see, Dave was, in the, was the president of the NAACP for maybe four, maybe four years. In the 40s? Yeah, 50s. this is all, this is all I'm talking We're still as far 40s. As my, as far as my recollection, it would have to be 45 to 50. Mm -hmm. And um, then, of course, there was a march on Washington. That had to be, that was before I came here, yeah. That Dave said so that was around 1942. Ted McNeil and the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters um, um, and Mr. A. Philip Randolph was the um, catalyst there. And they, had a, they were going to have a march on Washington to Washington, D.C., but they had, then I think in, in the interim, uh, President Roosevelt um, had the FEPC. So, they had a march on Washington here, mm -hmm. Dave said, in 1942, around the bullet plant. They were only hiring Negroes in menial positions as laborers and cleaning the toilets, as they say, and, and mopping the floors. So they had this demonstration out there. And um, so, let's see, I think you mentioned something about the, about the march on Washington here. Now, but the for the mm -hmm. sake of the tape, the March on Washington was for? Well, they were open, opening the, fa the facilities out there to, uh, oh, here to it is. Hire, to hire to blacks, hire blacks in, in the war in, effort. In, 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 uh, that, in the war effort, right. other than jobs in, uh, as, as, um, as, menial. As, as menial laborers, yeah. I just mm -hmm. down. Okay. In your words. All right. Yeah. It isn't going too much here on uh, uh, This must have been very busy times. Oh, it was a busy time, and there were so many interesting um, people coming here, Negroes from all over the country. There was Thurgood Marshall, who's now on, sitting on the Supreme Court bench, Dave knew him. Uh, Walter White, president of the NAACP, Robert uh, Weaver. Um, 
And when they came here, what would they do? They were coming here to, um, among NAACP business, to have seminars and to uh, um, have discussions with Dave and the people who were in the movement. Mm -hmm. And um, they were, uh, and then there, there was a case, I can't recall the woman's last name, Emily somebody. This was before I got here. Um, he went down to southeast Missouri. It was down near Sykeston. I mean, it may have been Sykeston. Um, the black school teachers were not being paid the same amount of money for the same work as the white teachers. And he filed suit against them. And then Thurgood Marshall. Is that Moberly, Missouri? I don't know. What does it say? Is Emily? Emily? Somebody? There's no name. It just uh, following the Supreme 1954 Supreme Court ruling for equalization of educational opportunities. That could have been. It discharged all of its black. The Missouri school system discharged all of its black teachers. The suit was filed for the state and the ACP to bring out, to bring about reinstatement of these teachers. Although the case was lost, the impact resulted in Moberly and other out-of-state communities rehiring and hiring black teachers. Um, how, how did, how, how were people recruited to, to be involved in sit-ins? They were not recruited. It was just word of mouth and everybody was just up in arms about it. And so we didn't have to go out to recruit anybody. People just came. Came. Yeah, they just, they came just came. Came to where? The church? To, to oh, the or to anywhere, to, uh, um, the NAACP headquarters, which at that time uh, uh, we had an office in, in the uh, finance building. I came to Dave's office. Uh huh. Fred Weathers, who was a committeeman and a very powerful man, very fine man in the. Um, um, he was uh, he was committeeman for, for a long period of time. And uh, Jordan Chambers, people who worked in the uh, political organizations, they had meetings, and it was just the thing that just grew. Was mushroomed. Did they train people how to handle themselves in sit-ins? Yes, yes. How did they do yeah. that? Well, they just, by talking, by talking, they had to, those who, those people who were so anxious to really start, you know, get things going, um, some tempers had to be cooled. But uh, so far as I remember, there was very little, um, or very few altercations. I don't recall. What was your first sit-in? Uh, with the um, Scruggs. Mm -hmm. Scruggs, and then I also picketed with Mr. Wheeler at uh, the American Theater. I didn't go to the Fox. They had a meeting at the Fox. I wrote something down here. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Paul Robeson came here, and he was at the American Theater. And Paul Robeson put a sign on himself and walked with pickets. That was inspiring mm -hmm. for people. And uh, Wheeler helped CORE, you know, um, mm -hmm. he worked with them. Mm -hmm. had, oh, had yes, and now, they pardon? I was just going to ask how you felt when you were sitting there. Again, you feel angry, you feel disgusted, you feel how stupid this is to uh, prevent a person to come any place because of, of color. It's, you know, it's, uh, to me it's just utterly ridiculous. People can afford to come into a theater and sit in a seat where they want to where their money will pay for it, and they don't want to sit down next to a white person who doesn't want to sit down next to them. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's just makes you disgusted. And, and uh, I guess people, you know, you feel like your self-esteem is crushed, more or less. And you say, well, here I'm a person, and I'm not permitted to do so-and-so in this country. This, this is supposed to be the greatest democracy in the world. 
mean, people have been took that attitude. I know I did. Was it hard to get up again the next morning and go back? No. Everybody was really, really into it. I mean, it was, it was a concerted effort of um, um, everybody was encouraged. Um, people felt they were doing something. People felt that no matter how long it was going to take, that eventually the doors would open. <coughs> I think it was a very interesting, exciting time because we certainly didn't have uh, physical violence right. like we had in the 60s. It was a different time. Um, you married Dave in 45, mm -hmm. so that was the, right after that um, the men began to come home from the war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so those men um, had an altogether you know, here they had fought, mm -hmm. some seen their friends die, and they come back. And can you give me any feeling about some of their participation or some of their uh, feelings? Do you, do you know? Did you well, know? of course, their first uh, concern was getting a job, mm -hmm. and jobs were scarce. So naturally, they were for they were for anything that. Uh, would help them um, find a job, and they were there. They were at the meetings. They were supportive. They must have. Could they have been angry too? Oh, I, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. They had come from fighting mm -hmm. in an all-black mm -hmm. unit. Mm -hmm. Um, Washington knew that case, to win that case, to open those doors, was was really something. Oh, yes. For six years, Dave, Dave was the legal counselor. He and uh, George Vine, I forgot the other word, I think there were three lawyers, but Dave was Dave's idea. He presented this, and he, one day he said, you know, he said, Negroes are paying taxes. And here is a tax-exempt uh, organization. They're taking taxes from black people, and yet they will not let black people come into the school. So that's how it started. Yeah. He must have... Uh, well, what did he feel like when it was over? Well, he felt great because it was, it was a victory. It was a hard-won victory, but it, was, mm -hmm. it, it lasted six years. And what what impact did it have on the other part of the country, do you think? Because it was before Brown. Well, let's see, when was Brown? 1954. 54, wasn't it? So this was in... Uh, 48. 48, yeah. This may sound silly, but did you celebrate? <laughs> I mean, was there a sense of every time something, the door opened or a sit-in worked or, you said, you mentioned the word before, a sense of excitement. So mm -hmm. there had, I mean, the people working together mm -hmm. must have been uh, very special. Yeah, the NAACP meetings were, were very good in those years. They were well attended and, you know, now I understand the NAACP is just, it's not as um, well attended the meetings, and we had some really Purposeful. exciting meetings, yeah. And people would come, the place would be packed, and everybody was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And everybody was what? They were happy about it, yeah. They felt it was a great victory, Washington mm -hmm. University. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's. Um, let me read off some cases. And uh, by the way, what were you doing in the office? What I was, was his job? secretary. You were the secretary. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then you lived it. Mm -hmm. You lived it morning, noon, and night, mm -hmm. didn't you? Mm -hmm. Well, you were quite a team, and you had children. Mm -hmm. Eleven months after we were married, I had my son, and then, uh, uh, then my daughter. 
but uh, we lived right around the corner from the um, finance building. Mm -hmm. My mother and father had a funeral home there, and we lived with them for, I guess, until David was two and a half years old, and we moved down here. We've been here ever since. Um, so you made quite a team. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran into a little um, article that I thought was interesting before you married Dave in the, um, and I know this is in the 30s, but, uh, uh, and I believe they, they had it on the last exhibit, but mm -hmm. when he went into the gen, uh, city hospital number two and took the photos of how they used to put the three beds together oh, really? and have, or two beds together mm -hmm. and have three people lying on them. He mm -hmm. took pictures and then he went to the zoo. Mm -hmm. I think he did it with Dr. McClellan. Dr. And, McClellan. Uh -huh. Yeah, and took pictures of the zoo and, and the, what it was like, situation mm -hmm. there and compared them and uh, offered that as That's evidence. interesting. I never heard that. Yeah, I just... He told me a lot of, of the things that, that had happened, but I never heard that story. <laughs> I heard about the... Um, he was arrested several times. Um, the uh, over here, 2,600 Franklin back in the 30s uh, at the end of... at the um, 10 cent store. That's right, I wrote this down here. Um, 5 and 10 cent store, 2,600 on Franklin Avenue. Um, they didn't have any Negro clerks over there. Mm -hmm. there were, and, uh, there were no management positions, of course, no. First, he and Mr. Sweets, the St. Louis American, and Benny Rogers. I don't know whether Benny was in there or not. Benny's younger than that. But anyway, um, they picketed there, and uh, the police came, and Dave was arrested. Now, I do have a picture of him <laughs> being, being lifted into the into the uh, paddy, uh, wagon. paddy wagon, right? Uh, that was in the thirties, but uh, I uh, that, I didn't know anything about the the uh, well, it was uh, the the hospital, and I guess he was then working for the um, Homer Phillips, yeah. Huh. No. And then after they got the clerks in at uh, the Franklin Avenue store. Then they went back and uh, picked it for management positions. So pretty soon uh, the manager over there just, they capitulated and, and it was all black because Franklin Avenue was all black. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about, the, okay, we're finished on the stores. You're talking about the five and dime and the five and dime, yeah. And then this man, uh, Frank Jones, who was also in the clerk circle of color clerk circle, color clerk circle, mm -hmm. right? And he also um, picketed the Fox Theater. Mm -hmm. He was the one who was in Kroger Theater in the 3200 block on the Cleed. There were no black clerks there. Mm -hmm. Frank Jones is now deceased. How did the churches involve themselves in these things? They were they were involved. Now I don't want to get into that because um, get somebody else to talk about okay. churches. Okay, <laughs> I respect that because I'm, I I really the, don't uh, enough, I can't enough with said. any knowledge remember the churches. Okay, enough said. They were certainly involved, and the preachers were there. Mm -hmm. But now I cannot. Mm -hmm. Tell you very That's much fine. about it. That's so, fine. Uh, um, Melba Sweets can do that. Okay. And she's. I don't know. She's very upset right now because her husband's back in the hospital. So she's. Uh, St. Louis City Auditorium Commission. Does that uh, that blacks can only sit in designated places in the upper balcony of the auditorium? That was in the forties. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure. I had heard Dave talk about that. Um, we we mentioned uh, you mentioned restricted covenant, but we got off of it. Uh, is there is there something that you could add about that? 
restrictive kind of cases? No. The black real estate brokers? Um, I know Dave had one case. This man who was buying a house at Lexington and North Hempstead. restrictive covenant agreement on that house but the white people were selling it to this man and there was an upheaval in the neighborhood they filed suit that was um, before the decision of where George Vaughn who was a great civil rights lawyer before he went to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. and um, argued the case of Shelley versus Kramer. What year was that? 19? Do you have it on there? No. Shelley versus Kramer? Was no. The Kramer? No. Well, no, I don't. Hmm. Oh, these files. You're downstairs with that. I have I've gone through so much and I'm just bogged with it. What was life like for you? What, what were you what were you doing? For instance, I read today in this book, wherever it is, who talks about the Ville, but I think it was like the very, very late 30s. Well, it, well you weren't here till 45, but you must have been involved somehow in the Woman's Auxiliary of Homer G. It's got your name here. I can show it to you. In 1945. Uh, well, it's. Uh, Are you sure it's, it's uh, could oh, be the other wife? See, he was married. Oh. That was the other wife. Oh, I'm learning. I didn't know that, Mrs. Uh huh. Yeah. In the, in the 30s and the 40s, he had another wife. She was involved. She was. She was involved, <laughs> probably. Yeah, because okay. I wasn't here. Uh huh. All right. Yes. Let's see. Uh -huh. Did they have Mrs. David Grant or uh -huh. Mrs. Thelma Grant? It just says. Uh, Let's see that. Mrs. Messieurs. <laughs> See, that would be the end because here we're beginning 1940. Well, this is Messrs. Maybe his mother? What was his mother? No, 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 no. This, this would be, this would, this is the man. This see, included Monsieur, M-E-S-S-R-S. -S -S. That's Mr. James Cook, David Grant. Okay, I misread see, it. Yeah, see, I misread uh, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, it did bring up another subject I didn't know about, uh -huh, so I apologize uh -huh. for Let's that. Let's see that. It, where did you get this? At the library? No, I got this down at, uh, at the cathedral. At the what? Cathedral. Oh. Oh, in, the, in their library down there? Mm-hmm. Well, in their their store, their bookstore. Oh, I see. You did not live in the Ville? Oh, no, I never lived in the Ville. I lived downtown, and then from downtown we came here, Lawton Avenue. Mildred, did it make a difference? Oh, here's here's a restricted covenant here. Um, let's see, does it say when the... St. Louis in 1916, huh? Oh, I don't know if you've seen a very, very person probably Between 42, 378 race-restricted housing agreements remain in St. Louis. They don't tell about the, um, this is a bill. Let's see. Did it make a difference whether one lived in the bill or not? Oh, well, the bill was, um, in the 40s and 50s? Oh, I think it started before that. Oh, I know it, it started oh, before uh -huh. that, but, but I wanted to know, did it, did it make a difference? Was there a, a social status that? I think so, I think so. You know, the people were very proud of the Ville. I used to hear about, see, but we lived downtown. We lived mm -hmm. far away from the Ville. Did you want to live in the Ville? No, I was well, right. That, no. That's why I'm asking. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. No, I was very, and then there was the uh, the West End, which was um, 
Cook, West Bell, and Wright Avenue. The streets are beautiful. They, oh, it looks terrible now, but um, that was really the plush place. Mm -hmm. uh, next, well, the Ville really did not have the large homes mm -hmm. that you found on um, Enright, West Bell, um, Cook. Some of them are still standing. But um, the Ville, the, have you been over there, haven't mm -hmm. you? Uh -huh. Well, you know what the houses are like, so they've been there for many, many years. But it was a, it was a school teachers, social workers, uh, uh, postal employees, and uh, it was, uh, from what I understand, I never knew, I didn't know very much about the bill. What was your neighborhood like, years and days? Oh, well, uh, I don't know what Dave's was like before we got married. He lived on Enright with his mother after he divorced, he and his wife divorced. And then he lived with his mother on Enright. And, um, but I had been downtown. And then as I said, I went away to school. So when I came back, um, well, it was just, uh, all, it was uh, Jefferson Avenue, a lot of sh uh, stores, there were two hotels there, black hotels, restaurants, stores, grocery stores, and shoeshine parlors. It was not um, as elegant as Enright Avenue and uh, the West End, no. But my mother and father had their business there, and we lived up over the business. Did, uh, was there a social status of different levels, and did that have anything to do with uh, when the civil rights movement started? I don't quite understand. Did all the barriers, all this, did the social barriers break down when people began to do sit-ins and? Oh, you mean social barriers among the races? You no, know, between the blacks. went everywhere up and, and with our friends. Uh, I, I don't think there were any barriers as such. Well, in, I mean, in, in every group of people there are usually social stratas of... Oh, 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 I see. What, well, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, we, Dave and I were a little different from some of the people because we we went everywhere with with anybody. <laughs> um, we were, of course, in uh, in the Ville group and the Central West End group. But then there were there were times when um, we attended uh, affairs, uh, church affairs that people would invite us to, and, uh, lodges, the Elks Lodge, and I wouldn't say I. You know, I, I don't know. I really never thought about it. Well, it didn't really bother me. But when the civil rights movement started, it just took everybody and anybody from anywhere, and did everybody and anybody from everywhere come? Was it all kinds of different lives? I think so. Anybody who wanted to participate. That's right. Yeah. That's uh -huh. welcome. Yeah. That's welcome. Yeah. Now, um, let's talk about police brutality. Yeah, I was talking about that with a friend. Um, I know Dave had a um, case or two of it, but um, from what um, one of the judges said, was a, not a lot at what you would call police brutality. It was um, more police neglect more so than brutality. Looking the other way? Looking the other way, right, neglect. Uh, coming to, um, instead of making calls, taking their time to get to a call and really not probably just saying, oh, well, that's another incident of two black people 
uh, fighting or whatnot, and the neglect was the word, more so than actual police brutality. Of course, there were some instances, but I, I think that police brutality came later, after 1950. Um, that was your word on the phone. That's why I brought it up that way. I had to think about that because um, and I had to, to, to ask someone because I wasn't sure mm -hmm. about the time, so I want to stay within this time period right. if possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were there any ever th threats on, on Dave's life? If, if there were, he wouldn't, he, he didn't tell me. He didn't tell you? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so, no. Uh -uh. No, he would get uh, letters uh, from especially from white people who uh, did not approve of what he was doing. And, uh, and he would get, um, they'd call him all kinds of names and whatnot, but it was mostly from letters. What was the best of times? Well, it was um, probably, uh, probably dur during the, Of, of the work of, of getting all this together because then after that was over and you know after things calmed down well then you didn't have anything really to uh, to get excited about as much to get excited about because things have changed now and really we should be getting excited about a whole lot <laughs> but that's not that's not the point um, well yes it is go ahead no it was, we, we had we had a, a lot of um, Rapport with the finest minds in this country of um, Negroes, and it was um, really interesting to be a part of it. I had, I wish I had had a guest book. I don't know why I didn't, but the people who have been in this house, fantastic people and the conversations, and uh, if some of it had just been uh, recorded, of course, we were not recording back in those days, but it was really, really exciting. And then after, uh, if you have a, a win on something, sure, you feel exhilarated, you know, well, maybe we're going to go a little bit further. Victory was sweet. Yeah. And then you must, I would imagine, have checked with people all over the country mm -hmm. because it was mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. But they never let down, regardless. Even when the, the, the uh, places were open here, there was still, there was still work to be done. Uh, probably it was not um, uh, as visible until the 60s. Maybe there was a little period there, I suppose, where um, There was always something going on. There was always something going on. Always happening. Then, um, of course, the schools. Tell me about the schools. St. Pius V. And um, coming down here in this area, let's see, the lady next door was colored. Um, there were colored families around. Compton Avenue, Humphrey, around. Um, the man who had this confectionery here had a counter and, and stools, and he would um, make malted milks for children. I took my son over there, just a little top, 
took him over there one day to have him to get a malted milk, and the man refused to serve us. Um, we had just moved here, and um, so of course my husband went over there. And we had a confrontation and all that. As a result, he left. He moved. We didn't. He, we ran him out. You know, he didn't run us out. He moved shortly thereafter because he didn't know what Dave was going to do. Dave raised so much sand over there. Did he really? Yeah. So anyway, um, up here on Grand Avenue, there was a theater. They knocked it down. The Ritz took the children there to the show, and uh, they refused us. Did you know this before you went in? No, uh-uh, I didn't. You were just... Yeah, I had no idea. At the time, I can't tell you when it was. It probably was in the early 50s, because mm -hmm. the children were, were big enough then to go to the show. Some little Mickey Mouse movie I wanted to see, whatever it was. And... Um, so we had um, to go round and round with the management of the Ritz Theater. Um, did Dave come too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you go by yourself and then call him, or? Yeah. Well, well, the, the, we had some. T I had some words with the with the people there. And then I came home and told Dave, and then he went back. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of some other incidents that we've had down here. Did they let them in? No, we didn't want to go. Not under those circumstances, we didn't go anywhere. But, um... Hilda, what did you think that they would let you in? I really don't know. I, um... It may have been at the time when this, the uh, theaters were open. Did we get some dates on that, like the American Theater? Or well, the American Theater was back, was 1945. I have dates on that. Mm -hmm. So it could have been, yeah. It uh, the theaters were probably open, but this was a manager who was just uh, hanging in there, hanging in there, and he wasn't going to give in, and he didn't want any any black people in his theater, and uh, he was actually, I'm pretty sure that it was time it was after uh, the time when the theaters were open, and he just, on his own, did not want Negroes in there, but that came down shortly thereafter, too. <laughs> <laughs> you all were awful busy. <laughs> yeah, we were busy. So, you did it on uh, a tremendous amount. Yeah. Um, speaking of schools, Dave himself had to go out of state mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to go to law school. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Before the games. Mm -hmm. He went to uh, the University Case. of uh, Michigan. And then from there, he went to Howard University in Washington. Uh -huh. um, what about your children's schools? Well, they were all in Catholic schools. Right. There, from from uh, Saint Pius, Did and they my stay daughter. There? Did they stay in Catholic schools? Oh yeah, so? and and then my daughter was uh, the first Negro girl to be made president of her class here at uh, Saint Elizabeth's Academy, right here. And David went to uh, St. Louis University High School. Mm -hmm. That's a fine school. A very fine school, yeah. He loved it. And then what did they do? Well, then they went to, to uh, David went to Notre Dame, and Gail went to Washington U. Are they here? Are they here? No, no, no. They live in, uh, my son lives in Seattle, Washington, and my daughter is in Washington, D.C their jobs there. Uh, you talked about the best of times in the sense that we're talking in the 40s and the mm -hmm. 50s. What was the worst of times? Well, I wouldn't have called it the best of times. And I think no, I asked you what, oh. what was, and you said the people, the working together, there was always something. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was but good, but still, it was it was it was bad. There were bad times because that's what there I'm was asking. so much. Yeah, there was just so much to be done, and there, and uh, what was the the worst of 
those times where you thought maybe it wasn't going to happen. As I recall here with us and with the people that uh, we were associated with, uh, Jordan Chambers, who was a fantastic man too, he was a fighter. Fred Weathers, um, they all had a lot of confidence. No matter how hard things were and, and you take two steps forward and then you, you back four or five steps, they didn't, they didn't let that deter them. They really were confident that eventually it was going to be, to happen. Um, Dave was never uh, depressed about it. He was always um, feeling, well, we've got to stay in here and fight. So there were some bad times, and uh, especially when we had failures. But it was like being knocked down. You get up and you start all over again. What were some of the failures? Oh, well. Um, well, for instance, uh, Washington University, we're in court six years, restrictive covenants. I mean, it took time for all this to come about. Even uh, cases of, of uh, the few cases of police brut brutality, um, not going in, being able to go into the theaters. It's funny that everything was segregated except the streetcars and buses. <laughs> Hospitals, too, were segregated, yeah. you know. People's Hospital down there on Locust, that's where my children were born. Locust and um, near Jefferson. And I read Dave was born at home. Big Dave? Mm -hmm. He was. That <laughs> <laughs> was in his uh, transcript. I oh. have a... Oh, really? Uh -huh. Something that, that, he had, that he said? Uh, well, probably so. I, uh, where'd you get that? <laughs> I got that over at Umsel. At Umsel, yes. Uh, I have um, the transcript upstairs. He did, he did an oral history as you're doing now. Yeah, that's right. He, uh, I, I really had, had forgotten that. Yeah, I guess so, back at that time. Now, there was, yes, there was a hospital on Pepin Street. That was St. Elizabeth, St. Yeah, St. Mary's. But that was before, that was Providence after, that was after his time. Oh, the Providence was in Chicago, wasn't it? The only Providence I know is I in know, Chicago. I, I have a note here that says there was a Providence Hospital early 1900s, and I have born at home. So I have uh, school, I have school, uh -huh. with Sumner. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I have something about the Wheatley School I can tell you that he, um, Yeah, in the early 40s, a child was murdered at Wheatley School, grade school, by another child, a non-pupil. Uh, this child had come, the non-pupil had come into the Wheatley School without uh, a warrant, to, I guess obviously to make trouble. So the school board uh, didn't bother to assign a member of the staff to attend the inquest. And uh, let's see, then Dave says, uh, Wheeler was there and so was I, together with the bereaved family of the dead boy. So incensed became Wheeler at the crass indifference of school authorities over this wanton murder that he organized and led a, dem a demonstration before the board's offices. And Dave held a, a miniature coffin on his shoulders, and he demanded relief from the conditions that had allowed this killing to happen. There was no immediate relief, but a seed was planted that bore handsome fruit in later years. That's all he says about that. Then he says here, in 1944, a group of women led by Mrs. Pearl Maddox, Bertie Beale Anderson, and Audia Roberts in, initiated the now popular sit-in technique of protest. Wheeler gave them the encouragement and moral lift so necessary. So um, 
he brought them to, oh, I see, he brought them to me for advice on a legal question. And so this brought in the forces of um, well, the NAACP and the March on Washington movement, which uh, Ted McNeil was um, starting. So it says the result was immediate, uh, although partial, victory through the opening of some of the facilities. That's right, because Scrubs was the first to open. Miss Hullings took a long time to open. Famous didn't open right away. I think the five and ten, five and dime stores opened after um, Scrubs. But they had a little corner. You know, I, that, was, that was the first thing that I saw when I came back from California, and I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, people were directed over to this little corner way in the back of the store, down someplace, one of those stores down on Washington Avenue. And I came home and asked my mother, see, I hadn't seen anything like that in California. Uh, so anyway. What'd your mother say? Well, she just told me that that's what, uh, that's what Negroes had to do if they wanted some hot dogs and soda. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get a better answer than that. Yes, that was it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, said yeah. And then later on, more of the stores were opened, and finally all finally all were opened. Um, the openings were soon to be citywide. But the genesis of it all must flow back to the 1944, and that small band of courageous women sparked on, advised and encouraged by Henry Wheeler, and of course Dave was in it, and, and uh, the others who, who came in. So I'm glad I read this because I thought that Henry Wheeler had started it, but it's the three women here, Pearl Maddox, Marie Beale Anderson, Audia Roberts. Incidentally, she's the mother of Evelyn Roberts. You ought to call Evelyn. I am going to. Yeah, yeah. So call Evelyn because she can tell you a lot about that. Now, the next year, 1945, Dave was in as president of the local NAACP. Um, oh, yeah, two important events surfaced in 1945, which we've already talked about. Washington University again sought relief from city-assessed taxes. And uh, we talked about Carmen Jones, about the the um, American Theater. Well, the play left, but they picketed the play the whole time that Carmen Jones was there. Um, then, as I said, they also, then they started the larger movie houses and they went out to the Fox and had this um, conference with uh, Mr. Arthur, who had the Arthur Theaters at that time. He opened a few on a trial basis. So it was the American first? The American was first, yes, where they picketed. Mm -hmm. It was two years before they opened, they opened it. Uh -huh. Two years. Now in the early 50s, oh here, this is interesting, in the early 50s, the Board of Education decided to split up the two Negro high schools, Sumner and Vishan, mm -hmm. and farm out Sumner's first-year students to Bates School at 1912 Prairie, and those of Vishan to Marquette School at 4015 McPherson. And they were doing this because the two Negro high schools were so crowded. This disruption was announced suddenly and precipitously in the sixth or seventh week following the September school opening. To do this, of course, it would be necessary to withdraw the two grade schools, both of which had small enrollments from white youths. White parents protested the proposed change. Opposition such as this had always been a rather useful device in detracting attention from the board's own fumbling. That is, the two racial groups invariably would be drawn into conflict 
and in the dust of their battle the real issue would be lost. And such fumblings and mishandlings were hardly conducive to the furtherance of wholesome race relations within the city. On this occasion, Wheeler and myself, Wheeler and I, organized a group of parents and with their authorization approached the Marquette people who had held a riotous meeting where heated threats against Negro encroachment had been made and reported in the press. We explained to these people at a follow-up meeting of theirs that rather than fight each other, we should join hands and fight the instigators of the confusion, namely the Board of Education. We took the position that they did not want the school taken from them, and we did not want it given to us under any plan that would cause fragmentation of the Bashan student body.